Welcome, everyone, to the Dorsey Wright Podcast for October 25th, 2017. This is Paul Keaton joining me today. David Clark, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. The topic today is going to be overbought or overblown. And that's a question I think a lot of people are asking about the U.S. equity market, certainly the benchmarks today. And, David, I'll give you one stat, and you can tell me why I shouldn't be scared about this. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is the most overbought that it has been since 1982. 82. 30, 35 years. That's hard to believe that we haven't seen that. Uh, okay, you're not I, helping me process this I know, in a healthy but manner, though. <laughs> well, one thing is, you know, 1982, interestingly, was when the Dow really emerged from what had been an upper boundary at the 1,000 mark, and it was uh, sort of the, the convincing end to what was a structural bear market that um, encompassed most of the 1970s. Certainly there was a, um, you know, a pretty brutal bear market in the 1970s that was along the lines of what occurred more recently in the 2008 and early 2009 market for U.S. equities. It wasn't until 1982 that the U.S. equity market really convincingly emerged, found new all-time highs, and began what is, uh, well, looking back, certainly was an historic uh, 18- to 20-year bull market that really didn't end until the tech bubble collapsed in early 2000. So the U.S. market has been on a, uh, a great run this year. The Dow actually is among the better-performing U.S. equity benchmarks. Um, certainly compared to the S&P 500. Uh, it has a pretty solid advantage of about 400 basis points this year over the S&P 500, but it sits at 159% overbought on a 10-week trading band, and that, again, is the highest reading since 1982, specifically September of 1982, when it reached about 162% overbought. So, David, here's your second chance. Calm my nerves about this. Well, the benefit we've got here of this market environment right now is the fact that when we're seeing, you know, overbought levels, one of the things that folks often tend to the immediate thought is, okay, well, what's next? We've seen overbought stance. What's next? And it was something we took a look at in the market comment for on Tuesday, the ETF spotlight. And what we observed was a market index, the S and P five hundred, more specifically. And we took a look at the price movement of the S&P 500 over the past roughly eight years and also plotted its overbought, oversold reading. Now, what we saw on that chart was the fact that the S&P was capable of getting to 100% overbought. That's not, that's not any type of surprise for us. But the thing that many often think about when seeing an overbought reading is that there's down, automatic downside that will follow. And to the extent of the downside is what is sort of the question and what leads to uncertainty. Now, the graph itself really provides value in the fact that it shows you even when we see these readings of plus 100% overbought for indexes like the S&P 500 – that in a good bull market, much like we find ourselves in, that while we might see a pullback, it's not that you know, those 100% readings are a, okay, we need to go ahead and step away our equity right. allocation or anything like that. If anything, yes, we did see some downside after seeing some 100% overbought readings, but it wasn't like a bear market ensued. We continued to see the indices really 
push higher. And in many ways, a pullback after seeing these high readings was a normalization. It allowed folks to, and stocks and securities really to normalize on their price and allowed investors to go ahead and move into some of the securities they had been watching. So it's one of those things of, you know, people like to think about overbought readings being sort of an automatic, just bear alert type of thing. But you know, in many cases, especially in good bull markets like we find ourselves in, they're not. You know, so right. I mean, in reality, what we we know about market history as students of that is that bull markets live in overbought territory, just various shades of it. And as you alluded to, David, you know, for the past eight years, the S and P five hundred as an index has spent seventy uh, percent of the time in some shade of overbought, whether that's you know, 10% overbought or 100% overbought statistically, it's been some level of overbought 70% of the time. And that's more symptomatic of a bull market than it is anything else. So we use these statistical readings uh, to identify really where an index or a stock or an ETF, where it is relative to what would be normal. It's a it's a trading envelope. That calculation is uh, when we say 100%, that means uh, in our parlance that essentially the market or that index is three standard deviations above normal. And so there are a few ways that it could get back to normal, and that could be moving sideways and uh, normal just uh, – becomes adapts to the market essentially uh, or the market can pull back and uh, that would allow it to sort of uh, come back to what is already defined as normal or some something in between the market could continue to move higher but at a slower uh, uh, sense angle let's say and the the band adjusts to the market over time different ways that it happens but the point is that it does happen uh, over time that uh, bull even in bull markets things go from being extremely overbought to not as overbought and so when we reach overbought territory we know that it doesn't mean a, a bull market has become a bear market it just means that um, we're often better off by just adapting behavior a bit uh, not being too antsy, uh, clients in this type of scenario are often often very willing to buy the stock you introduced to them four weeks ago, mm-hmm. and they w- were for whatever reason less willing to own. Now they're more willing to do so. They've seen the earnings for you know Caterpillar come out. They've seen the stock go up. They've seen whatever it takes to make them comfortable, and then you end up with a, an, an overbought scenario for the market. Uh, so, uh, what are the types of things that we encourage? in this scenario, bull market that has produced a near-term overbought scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's one of those things. So as far as the types of things we encourage, you know, it, it's a situation of where we definitely need to monitor those positions, those positions that we've maybe been keeping an eye on that might be working their way into overbought territory. Those are the ones that, as we noted, you would look for pullbacks in. So mm-hmm. this could be a time to help yourself Build a little bit of a shopping list of positions that are overbought that you might look for the pullbacks for. And you can absolutely use the DWA platform to help you monitor those types of positions. Um, we touched on the alert system yesterday in, in, the, in the market comment. And really, you can use a multitude of alerts. You can use price alerts. You could use um, just simply activity alerts for reversals. So there's ways mm-hmm. to approach even when you're, you're in this environment. When... You know, sometimes the average investor, they see these levels of overbought and they think there's no opportunity there. Really, it could be an opportunity. We just need to be aware of it and monitor in order to look for that opportunity. So, and that's so, but you know, largely we're looking at limit orders instead of market orders and the alerts are there on the site to help you um, if you don't want to put open limit orders um, 
you know, into the market, then one thing you can do is set those alerts. Then you get an email. If we were looking at the S&P 500, for instance, the S&P at you know, 2570, is that's, that's essentially the top of its trading band, so 100% overbought on a near-term basis. And you've got the, you could say, well, I want an alert if it comes back all the way back to the middle of its trading band. And again, you know, we know that only 30% of the time over the past eight years has the S&P been at the middle or below the middle of its trading band. But nonetheless, we could set an alert. I, you know, if I want absolute ideal perfect conditions to drive in, great, we'll get an email, 2490, that's the middle of its trading band. Uh, or we could set a few in between where we are now and the middle of that trading band. And that would give you a, an email, a tap on the shoulder, say, okay, it's okay to scale in a little bit more. Our risk reward is improved uh, based on the pullbacks here. So, you know, limit orders are still a bullish strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. Partial position buying is still a bullish strategy. Uh, they're just things that have been there. It's behavior that's been adapted to take into account the near-term situation for the market. But uh, this near-term doesn't change the long-term outlook mm-hmm. for where the U.S. equity market stands today. Not at all. And you know, it's interesting. You brought up the pullback to normalization. And you threw out some price numbers there. But from a percentage standpoint, and I think this is one of the more intriguing things, sort of, and this speaks to the environment that we find ourselves within domestic equities. So asking yourself the question of, in percentage terms, what would a pullback to normal look like for the S&P 500 right now? And interestingly enough, in a percentage basis, it's not that large of a number as many might think it is. As we looked at it, it's, it's short of 3%. So, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of 1% days, which have been Rare. non-existent hard and sure. hard to come by this year, but right. we could be back to the middle of that training band. So it's, again, a good bull market these are the types of things you see with right. pullbacks not really being what many often like to think of as pullbacks because some like to think of pullbacks as full-on corrections. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's it's 3%. It's less than 3%. And that's see, a good that point. Normalization. What is normal adapts to the behavior of the security that you're looking at. If we were in a very volatile market, uh, the trading band for a security or for the S&P in this case would be wider. You know, a very volatile market that is part of the calculation for how a weekly distribution is calculated. And so um, it adapts for um, how erratic the behavior of something is. And so if, uh, you know, if the market was twice as volatile as it has been in recent history, then it would be essentially twice as difficult to become 100% overbought. However, we've been, uh, we are living in a period that, uh, quite frankly, is uh, not quite unprecedented, but nearly unprecedented levels of volatility on the downside. There, meaning, you know, there has been uh, an absence of volatility. There have only been eight days in this calendar year where the market has been up or down more than one percent in a trading session. That historically is um, almost uh, almost doesn't register. Yeah, you know, it means you know, well over ninety-five percent of the trading sessions this year have been what you'd call an inside day. So the market's been up or down, but it's been up or down less than 1%. And that, quite frankly, is, a, is an extremely high reading. If you compare that to, uh, you know, like a 2008, in 2008, uh, not only was that number lower, uh, it was kind of inverted. You had more than 50%, more than half the day's trading sessions in 2008, the market was up or down at least 1%. And so it's a very different uh, environment that we're in. Uh, nonetheless, you know, the market has become uh, overbought when you put it on that trading band. Another way to look at this would be 
instead of looking at the index, look at the stocks that make up the index. And so if you looked at all of the securities in the S&P 500 and you said, well, you know, how overbought are they? And we do have an indicator for that. The symbol is WDSPX, and so that takes those 500, and it it averages where they are on their distribution. And in that account, you've got the average stock there uh, is 33% overbought. So that takes into account the leaders, the laggards. It treats you know a, a Boeing or Caterpillar exactly the same as a you know a GE and other stocks that have really underperformed this year. And um, and when you meld all those together, 33% is where the market is now, or at least the the market of stocks. And historically, 40% is a pretty high reading. And so you're you're in the territory where you could say not only is are the cap weighted indices or price weighted indices uh, in the case of the Dow statistically overbought, but stocks are are at levels that historically is a you know a flashing yellow light. However, we have published a study looking back at the last 15 or so years and every time the markets reach these levels, you know, what is the outlook? What follows? And it isn't horrible things. Again, this is not a, you know, a bullish market that you should be bearish on because of where we are. It's simply a, a time in which you, which you might think about adapting behavior, trying not to become too um, too optimistic in the very, very near term or too bullish uh, or, or buy securities that, quite frankly, are, uh, don't present the risk-reward scenario that you generally um, like to confine client uh, positions to. But And this might be helpful. could be some data points uh, that are worth sharing. If you took every scenario where uh, the market reached that 40% overbought level for the average S&P 500 stock, we've seen 21 of those events um, over the past 15 years. And in those 21 events, the average one-month return for the market after were still positive. Uh, it was just less than 1%. And you had uh, five occasions where the market was down. So five out of 21 times, the market was down over the next one month. But as you go out and you look at three-month or six-month returns, uh, a bull market regains its bullish nature, and you know the average six-month returns are about 5.9% following these overbought events, and that by no means is is a bad return over a six-month time period. And so, hopefully, that helps convey that it's it's not a scenario where uh, the market is untenable. It's just a scenario where you begin thinking about more limit orders and things like that. So, um, as we look at this, and you you look at you know the the environment in front of us. Uh, what other reports, David, on the Dorsey Wright site uh, are helpful to utilize? So, in other words, maybe on an ongoing basis over the next few weeks uh, to be able to you know make sure you don't miss things that maybe have uh, are, are strong stocks, but but maybe have offered a pullback specifically in the midst of uh, say earnings season that's going on now. So the database reports is definitely something where many of the analysts often spend their mornings at. I mean, it's one of the pages that I look to many times. One of the main reports that we pointed out, uh, especially in this environment, when we see things that are overbought, we're looking for pullbacks, is the so aptly named buy on pullback report. So whether you're looking for stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, 
that report is going to analyze all those securities and build a list for you of securities that have pulled back to within 10% of their bullish support line. Um, so that's one, port we, one report we can absolutely look to um, for some kind of idea generation, uh, where might we see some opportunity, maybe within sectors, so on and so forth. That's a big one that I often use. Um, the other one that I think is kind of interesting right now, too, with, with some securities, um, and this might not necessarily be along the lines of looking at overbought markets, but it's more of the trend lines, the, the, the trend changes that we've seen, because there have been stocks like GE and Procter and & Gamble that have violated their trend lines recently. So that's one report under the database reports that I often use, um, and I think is good to at least kind of keep an eye on some names that that you know very well be in our client portfolios. GE is um, a very interesting stock. You know, you look at that, and it's obviously a household name, and some would still, I think, consider it a blue chip stock. It's a member of the Dow. It's uh, it's the only remaining component of the Dow Industrial Average that actually is is among the original components of the Dow Industrial Average um, since inception back in the late 1800s. And GE uh, has been on a relative strength sell signal since 2001. And, uh, but more to the point, you know, GE's a stock that's down, I think, 30% or so this year, uh, recently had a bad reaction to an earnings event. But you think about a, the Dow and the Dow being a price-weighted index. It's also uh, an interesting little sidebar is that GE, as a $21 stock now, hardly contributes at all to that Dow Jones Industrial Average calculation. The way a price index works is that the things with the higher price, and by that I mean price per share, the highest price stocks uh, contribute more to the index, a 1% rally, in other words, in Boeing or uh, Goldman Sachs uh, would count much more than a 1% rally in GE. In fact, uh, for GE, it would have to rally 10% on a day uh, to provide the same impact as a 1% rally in uh, you know, Boeing or right. Goldman Sachs. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is very rare to see that type of spread in the Dow where you have you know, $220, $230 stocks and you also have a $20 stock in there. And uh, that's, it'll be interesting to see how the index is managed in that. But GE has fallen really from even relevancy as it relates to the actual Dow calculation. Well, so an interesting stat you bring up about the Dow being a price-weighted index. We started the podcast off talking about the fact that the Dow had reached a overbought reading of 159%, but it was intriguing to take a look at some of those individual holdings. We touched on doing that. Within the Dow right now, there are six out of the 30 stocks, so 20% of, of the stocks in the Dow, that are over 100% overbought. And what's really intriguing, again, to the fact that the Dow is a price-weighted index, is the average price of those six stocks is $116. So it truly is some of those higher price names. Now, it's not you know Boeing and, and Goldman Sachs that are moving it along, but 3M, which is, we just discovered is now the third highest price stock. Um, JP Morgan, hanging around $100. Uh, Caterpillar, 
trading, I believe, around 160, 170, something like that. But it's a hundred dollar stock. So mm-hmm. it's it's these names that you're seeing continue to carry the Dow further into that overbought territory. Yeah, not not all names certainly contributing equally within the Dow. And for the S and P 500, we know you know over the past five or six years, it had been that cap weighted mechanism that was very very difficult as a portfolio manager. The S and P 500 reached a point where it had outperformed uh, over 90 percent of all active managers over a five year. Uh, period. This year, however, that hasn't been the case. This year, if you looked at um, all the equity funds and the Dorsey Wright database, uh, of which there are many thousands, um, the S&P 500, uh, even with a a good return of about 15% this year, is outperforming just 55%. And if the equal weighted S&P 500 is outperforming just 44% of all of the um, the equity funds, including ETFs, mutual funds, and what have you. So the higher percentile rankings have certainly been uh, some of the international things uh, within that equity database. Uh, but you do have some. Some of the, the specific large-cap growth um, areas are uh, – Offering higher ranks this year, the NASDAQ 100 in particular has outperformed 86% of all uh, equity funds and uh, and benchmarks so far this year. Um, frontier markets, emerging markets, those have, have also offered uh, percentile ranks that are up in the, uh, the high 80s as well. So, uh, David, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. I knew I had to get you today because I'm just guessing that uh, a man of your age is probably not going to be as coherent tomorrow. Um, I know it's uh, celebrating a bit of a birthday here today. Potentially? Okay. I'll give you more credit than that. Um, but uh, all you need to know, uh, uh, as far as listeners uh, out there that have joined us today, all you need to know about David is he was given the option for a uh, office celebration today. Uh, he could have had cupcakes. There could have been ice cream. And instead, he said he would have preferred a Hardy's breakfast biscuit over either of those. So... There you go. That's what you get with David. Teach their own, man. Teach Teach their own. own. That's all I got to say. So uh, thank you very much for joining us. We'll talk to you again next week.